Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you, and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me, and inspiring me on how Grit and Grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get started. Welcome back. We are excited for another amazing episode of Grit and Grace, and I'm really excited to have Shauna with me today. Welcome, Shauna. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. And she's actually a, a, a two for one today because she has her baby Luna with her. So you may hear some baby noises in the background, which I'm really excited about because I love babies. Um, and I got to smile and, and snuggle with this uh, precious little girl. So we are we are we are doing a um, a podcast with the baby. So just beware if you hear any baby noises. Don't worry. Um, and let's talk, Shauna, about your background because you are a growth consultant for startups and small businesses, and you work closely with brand leaders to strategize for impact while guiding them on execution and accountability. And I, I, I say that because that's part of your bio, and it's it's wordy and it's it's impressive, you, you know. But I also think that it's hard for people to understand what that means. So let's start there. Explain to me what it means when you say growth consultant for startups and small businesses. That's fair. Even my mom doesn't really understand what I do. (laughs) I started as a content writer back in the day and found myself in marketing. I didn't know that what I was doing was marketing at the time. And I ended up getting into marketing and really, really loving it. And from there, I realized that what marketing is doing is it's helping brands grow. It's helping them find their voice and their community. So when I started doing it for myself, I like to consult with small businesses, but small businesses, it can be really tough to hire a marketer. It's usually just not in the budget. So they look to the gurus and they look for the advice that they can put into practice. So for me, my, my happy place was really working with startups that have just gotten, you know, their seed round of funding and they can't hire somebody to do their marketing full time, but they, they need that growth piece if they're going to get to the next level. Right. And that's actually how we met because, you know, I do a whole variety of things from, you know, this podcast to Corporate Cause Agency to the subscription box, which we're really excited about. The Grace and Glory box is coming soon. Yes. And I do some other things, too. And and trying to understand how you can build a marketing plan around all these different areas um, is hard. And I originally will tell you that I thought I would have to segregate it. So I would have like these silos of things that I do. But that's but most entrepreneurs, even if you're really niched and focused in what you do, we still kind of do different things. So you're talking about bringing somebody in that can look at all of these different avenues and help create a collective approach. Absolutely. And not need to bring in a huge, you know, full-time staff to do it, that you can come in and consult for that. Yeah. And I found a lot of times when businesses come to me, they come to me because they've gone to a marketing agency. They've got some kind of blueprint or something that was presented them and they have no idea what the hell to do with it. Mm. It it looks all very pretty on paper, but then when it comes to implementing and, and who is supposed to put this voice out on social media and who is supposed to do all of these things, it gets 
it gets a little bit difficult. And okay, and that's that's something I definitely want to talk about today, the tactics of implementing the plan. So you were the one that explained it to me so I f- could finally understand <laughs> this, which is there is the plan. There is the plan, which is your strategy. And it can be a marketing or branding or both, right? There's mm-hmm. separate silos, which we will dive into today. There is the plan and there is who's going to do the plan. Yes. <laughs> who's going to actually implement the plan because there's this false idea that you're going to go out, especially as a new business owner, you're going to go out and find somebody who's going to say, okay, you know, they're going to ask you who your target audience is, who's your target, you know, your, your ideal client, what is your message, what kind of, you know, pretty pictures do you want, what's the call to action? Right. And they're going to help you and you're going to say, okay, we got all that, we put it down paper and they actually give the paper back to you. Yes. <laughs> and now you go do the work or you have to bring somebody in house at a huge price to do the implementation. And I will tell you that that was a big surprise for me when I realized Mm -hmm. that just even having somebody create the strategy was not affordable for me. I mean, before I spoke to you, it was not affordable and because what they were asking for was just too much. Mm -hmm. And to know that at the end of that, it still doesn't include any actual work. And you know what? The strategy part, I can do that. Actually, that's I, I kind of can do that, but I need somebody that can help me with the tactics of making it happen day to day. I think that's tough. Even when you go to hire someone to do the execution, a lot of times people will skip the strategy part. They'll hire somebody for ads or they'll hire somebody to manage their social mm. media. And then they spend all the money on that and they realize that it hasn't tipped the needle at all because these people are just creating things and putting them out there without any real guidance of what it is meant to accomplish. Okay, give me an example of that. So you can hire a social media manager that would be fantastic at, you love their images, you love the captions that they do. Well, if they're not actively engaging, if they're not looking up on hashtags, they're not finding people in your industry or the target that you want to to look to to sell your service or product, they're not growing your account at all Everybody blames it on the algorithms. Mm. Facebook changed the algorithm or Instagram's changing the algorithm. Mm. What the algorithms are doing are changing so the people who do more engaging are the ones who actually get rewarded in the algorithm. Mm. Crazy, social media is about being social. Right. You can't just put things there and expect people to find you or to know about you or to hear your message. You have to go out and you have to actively find people. And that really surprises small business owners when they start doing things on social media and there's just absolutely no return. It's funny that you say that because I think that the majority of people think that you can create um, you can create a, a plan and just give it to somebody else and have them go out and do what you're talking about. But at the end of the day, you're still connecting with a human being. It's still human at the end of at the end of that that device that's looking at your your paid ad. And you know what? People now know when it's a paid ad. Yes. This is the thing: is if you're going to boost posts on Instagram or Facebook, people know it's a paid ad. So if you create more authentic, like real shots, like before we started, you took a picture of you and the baby and the. Mic- 
microphone and you're going to put this <laughs> on your social media that you're podcasting with the baby today. That's what people want to see. They're like, oh, look, you know, Making Moxie, which we haven't talked about. That is the name of your company, by that the way, for everybody. That is the name of my company. <laughs> we just went so quickly in um, that we didn't say that. But Making Moxie, you know, you're going to post that and people are going to say, oh, look, she's a mom and a business owner and she's on this amazing podcast. I'm going to go listen to what she has to say. Mm-hmm. Not because you boosted that post, but because you shared something organically. Mm-hmm. I think that the people that don't realize that are those that don't use social media for business or haven't yet. Right. So they don't they don't understand that because people that have been around in the social media field for a while understand that it is about engagement. It is. It is about engagement. And that's how we really not just reach new people, but that's how we build trust is showing that there's a real person behind the brand, that there's a real voice behind the brand. And so many companies are just trying to throw things out there that they're just they're looking to get things they're looking to to give. I'm sorry, they're looking to take, (laughs) not give. And that is really obvious to people on the other end. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad that we're having this conversation. And I know that people maybe talk a lot about it in the in the business world, but it's still sort of an unknown thing. And, and the other part of what you're, you've just addressed is how can you have somebody authentically engage if they're not you? And I'm not saying that we have to do it all ourselves because we do have to outsource. We can't do all things at all, all times. But you also want somebody that's engaging on your behalf to be doing it with your intentions and your values. So, you know, if you have corporate profiles as opposed to individuals, um, and you're acting as them on, on in communications, you want them to reflect who you are. And I have an example. I, I know somebody that owns a small business locally in Denver and hired a staff to oversee some local stuff and do some social media, and she got flirty. She got flirty with their business contacts. And um, they, I mean, that's obviously that situation didn't work out. But he, you know, the, if you just think about this, right, you're giving somebody access to your public image yeah. when you're interacting. So I, I think that that's the other piece that just doesn't get talked about is that you have to still maintain your character of who you are, even if you're outsourcing, right? Absolutely. And it's important to have those conversations if you're outsourcing. You don't just hand it off to somebody else and tell them to to go ahead and wing it you need to talk about what language is okay to use and what what the point of your engagement is what do you want to be talking to people about what messages do you want to be putting out there and Ultimately, it would be ideal to, to work with someone who shares a lot of your values yeah. so that it's as natural for them as it would be for you. Right. Which I love. And this is why you and I connected from the <laughs> beginning, because, you know, as women business owners, we balance a lot of things and you are mm-hmm. balancing four kids um, and a working spouse and you're making it happen. And I, I know it hasn't always been easy. Not always. <laughs> yeah. And so you relate to the topic of this podcast, which we spend a lot of time talking about keeping women at the table and and helping them do their best and and I really like that you chose the name making moxie because to me moxie isn't just about the good right it's it's mm-hmm. got it's got a little edge to it right it does yeah and and is that why you chose the name it is when i first started i wanted to call my blog crave because i was oh. thinking about things that women crave in life you want to talk about that in terms of business and a good friend of mine said absolutely not people are going to 
think you're selling food and just stop it. So we uh, we kind of love friends like that. Yes, <laughs> I do. I love her. She lives in St. Louis and I'm here in Colorado. So we got on Skype one night. We each had a glass of wine in our respective locations. We got out the thesaurus.com. Can't talk today. Yeah. And we just looked for word associations. Mm. We just started plugging in words and seeing what came up and moxie came up and i honestly i don't remember what time period in american history it's from but that used to describe women who were sassy who Mm -hmm. stood up and were powerful and said what they had to say and and that was just it for me that was the kind of energy that i wanted to make in my business and in my life yeah i like it so much and i i love that you in your social media and your branding you include the real parts of of life and i think that that's that's what attracts other women to work with you is Mm -hmm. that we all have these messy you know or a little messy sometimes or hot messy sometimes yeah in in our in our days and you are you know you are really able to show that you know you can still be successful and not have the greatest of days okay so i want to go back you started doing marketing Mm -hmm. and you were working for companies doing marketing. You were an employee. Yes. Okay. So how did you get from there to where we are with Luna today talking on Great and Grace? <laughs> uh, I was working as an SEO coach for uh, a really great association and it was a great job. I wasn't super passionate about it, but I could do it. And a friend of mine opened his own digital agency and asked me to join him. And it seemed like a great opportunity. It so seemed, this was a friend? It was a friend. It okay. seemed like... A, a dream for me. Right. So I left, I joined him, and over the course of a few months, it started to become apparent that he was more interested in signing the next big client mm. instead of taking care of the clients who were already paying us. Mm. And that just did not feel good to me. That I liked what I was doing, I liked working with the clients, I liked making a difference in their business. And that's when I realized so many companies are doing that, where there's just a blueprint that they just shove people into it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then they sign a new client. Right. And that's that just felt all out of whack to me. And I voiced this and I got fired. And this was about three weeks before my husband left for a six month deployment. Mm -hmm. I had three kids at home at the time. Wow. And. I was kind of faced with a choice. I could stay at home and essentially I'd have to stop working. There's no way that we could afford daycare uh, if I went into a traditional nine to five. And I decided that that wasn't gonna work for me. I loved what I did, I loved my clients, and I wanted to keep doing it. So I went out and I started looking for clients and I decided that I was going to revamp what it looked like to to be a marketer and to work with brands. It's a great story. And it's great because you you created something that worked with your family. You know, family is family is first, right? It's at the end of the day we know that the quality of our life is about the quality of the connections that we have. Mm-hmm. And you know, your kids are young now, but they always won't be. You know, they they won't be that way forever. So you're putting seeds in place and being able to work and, and make it all happen. And then someday, when they're like mine, when they're supposed to be kind of flown the nest, but still <laughs> sort of not flown the nest, <laughs> um, you're going to be able to you know have that foundation already set. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because when we went through all of this, 
and I told my husband what I wanted to do. He's like, babe, I support you. You're very good at what you do. I know that you're going to be great at this. But are people going to pay you to be a consultant and oh. not to be an agency doing all of this stuff? I said, I don't know, but I have to try. So that was that was a big moment for me when I got out there and started figuring it out. And that's what I want my kids to see. Did he ask it like that, though? Did he say, babe, I think you're really good. And will they pay you? Or did he say, oh, my gosh, are people going to actually pay you to do that? Was it which one? Because it was I mean, the first way. Okay, he's, he's very smart in his criticism uh he i think he used to manage at restaurants and i think it's called like the oreo cookie yeah he says where something. you start with a compliment and then you say what you really have to say and then you end with a compliment yeah. he's a smart man he knows how to approach it that's too funny um yeah which you didn't know i didn't know but i didn't I knew that I didn't want to just go into another agency and keep doing things the same way because I wouldn't want to be treated like that if I was a client and I didn't feel good about treating other people that way. So I knew that I needed to kind of relook at what it would be like to work with clients as a marketer in a way that worked for them and was in integrity with, you know, what I wanted to accomplish. And so when was that? That was in July of 2017. And so, like, what have you learned? I mean, you're almost two years in. Like, mm-hmm. what, how, this is, and I love it because you're still smiling. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what has those first two years been like? The first year was very hard. Uh, I got a quick win that I didn't have a non-compete with this guy. One of the clients immediately left to work with me because they didn't want to stay working with Oh, you with mean him. when you left with a, okay, I gotcha. So I, within the first month I had my first client, okay. which I don't think that would have been possible otherwise. So I would do a bit of consulting here, a bit of consulting there, and it took me about a year and for someone to actually approach me before I realized that my happy place was working with these startups. Yeah. Because I can really make an impact on their growth and yeah. you know from the ground up and these startups that have great potential but don't go in getting venture capitalist money with like 3 million to burn to grow quickly. They have an interesting dilemma and it's similar to small businesses Mm. you only have so much budget and you have to be creative with how you use it and I also you know it comes back to doing things a little bit differently I didn't just want to do digital I think too many small businesses see big companies like HubSpot and other other uh, you know Neil Patel and Moz we talk about SEO and we talk about things you can do on Instagram and the inbound marketing strategy right but those companies are already very big and you can build on a lot of things that they teach you but it's a slow process. Search engine optimization, whether you're blogging or getting backlinks or you're just optimizing the content on your website, it takes months for that to start getting picked up by the search engines. And two things that small business owners don't have a lot of is time and money. Right. So 
a lot of times we talk about more proactive strategies. You can post on social media, but you have to be engaging with people on social media. We could be running Facebook ads, but we're also going out and we're talking to business owners and people who could be our potential clients to start opening those conversations and not just waiting for advertising to do all of the heavy lifting for us. Yeah, I like that you focus on that so much because you still have to you still have to connect. You still have to be mm-hmm. able to connect. And I I know that this sounds like I'm I'm repeating myself, but I don't know where at some point the process got lost that we can go out and push out information. See, because in our personal lives, we 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 don't have an end goal. Okay, we have an end goal of that nice little dopamine hit that we get when <laughs> you know 200 people like your photo, but we don't have an end goal. And you're used to as an individual using social media just push information out mm-hmm. and see maybe what's going on in other people's life maybe having some fear of missing out but in business you have a call to action you want at the end of that but if you just push it out all the time people aren't gonna they're not gonna do it they're not connecting with you and I think that you, the fact that you are focusing on that as something different and unique is important I think that in marketing we we put a lot of focus on the the copy and the language and is, is it a strong strong call to action that is going to make someone want to click that is all very important but if people don't know your brand it doesn't mean much mm. you have to build that trust i see what you're saying and People want to trust the brands that were that they're working with. You know, gone are the days of these big corporations. You see companies like Sears and Radio Shack and all of these companies that are closing down because they can't compete on a personal level. People are looking for more personalized experience from the brands that they interact with today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally understand. And, and you know, in my business with Corporate Cause Agency, part of what we do is is help companies ensure that they have a strategy that they can partner in the community because that makes their that makes their connection with. It's very distracting when she's holding the baby. Now I'm just saying, like <laughs> Luna's like looking right at me. So if I if I sound all smiley and happy, it's because there's this beautiful little baby looking at me. Um. I think that that is that is a piece that people forget is you still have to build community, you still have to be able to connect and it doesn't it doesn't matter what size company you are. Yeah, and how how are big companies going to do that? Some big companies do it beautifully because they've adapted, but a lot of other companies have just gone on business as usual and it's just not good enough anymore. The consumer is looking for a different experience and if you're not willing to look at them as a human being instead of just dollar signs, then they're going to move on to the next company that makes them feel good. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So if if, if a client contacts you or, a, you know, a, a small business and says, okay, listen, I love making Moxie. I like what you do. I like what you stand for. How do you, how do you start? I know you do an evaluation of their goals, of course, but what are some when you start, actually better question, when you start, what are some tactics people start with, like getting getting their feet wet? So for the listeners that are new businesses or solopreneurs or people looking to scale, mm-hmm. they have they, they, they want to learn some tactics to just feel like they can get the ball rolling. So starting with goals, it probably sounds very cliche, but a lot of small business owners haven't set goals for themselves. They don't actually know what they want to accomplish. They just know that they're not growing. 
Mm. So they, you can't you can't set a, a roadmap to nowhere. <laughs> if you don't have the destination, then you can't create a path to get you there. Mm. So setting goals, and I'm not just talking vanity metrics. I'm not just talking getting the 10,000 followers so you can have a, a swipe up feature on Instagram. No, you're boiling it down to how many new clients do you want? Yeah. You know, like what and what does that and what does that mean over the course of the year? If I know, or do you start with revenue? Actually, it depends on what they want to do it could be units sold it could mm. be a specific revenue number and that's why it's so hard with you know this guru age that we live in because there's a lot of good advice out there but it really depends on the business mm. and what you're trying to individually accomplish so i do start with goals and then Again, very typical marketing practice, but we look at your messaging and your customer avatars, and a lot of people will say, well, we've already done that. You know, we don't need you to look at that. We've already done that. But what I find is that a lot of people will have created these, and they're, they're a guesstimate, right? But when they actually look at the people who are buying their products or services, they look nothing like the people who they're trying to market to. So you may create something, a brand, a product, a service, thinking who you know it's gonna benefit, but you actually have to go back and talk to people and think about how the climate's changed and maybe maybe there's no market for what you're actually selling or you're trying to sell it to a market that looks like you because that's who you think will be you know, benefited by it, but you haven't actually taken the time to talk to your customers or, or learn a little bit about about which direction it could potentially take. And that is really a game changer for some businesses. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And is it possible that people don't test market at the beginning? Could that be why sometimes who your 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 customer avatar is compared to who you think it is? Because I also think that there's this this thought process that sometimes who we want to work with yes. and who <laughs> we think is our, our ideal client, our sole client, is not who we end up actually working with. Like tier one, I, I mean, tier one and tier two clients. I totally went through that, and that it took me about a year to find out who my people were when I started my business because I really wanted to work with small business owners. Mm. I really wanted to help small business owners. They would take one look at my pricing and be like, "Well, you sound great, but we we don't want to work with you at that price." Yeah. <laughs> so I needed to be looking at. A market that was more in line with what my revenue goals were. You know, I have to hit a certain amount of revenue if I'm going to feed four kids. Yeah, it's a lot of food. So yeah. I had to change my business model essentially. It changed the networking that I was doing, uh, the places that I was hanging out. And I also think that pricing changes, right? It as does. You, as you figure out where where your niche is and who you want to work with, but. So, okay, so we're talking about determining your ideal client. Um, I think this is an interesting question, and, and I'd like to know from your marketing perspective, what if who is my typical client is not really who I, I ideally want to work with? And this isn't me, but this is a common problem we have, right? We take the low-hanging fruit when you yeah. start a business because you got to take what you got. You, you got, as you said, you got to feed your kids. You got to make it happen. How do you switch from not taking that client to focusing primarily on the ones that you know are right for you? It's a hard question, and I think, again, it really depends on the business. So, for example, one of the first marketing clients I worked with is this small handbag 
uh, company in Tennessee called Urban Southern. It's completely run by women. Uh, they have a background. Uh, they come from an Amish background. It's a really cool brand story. And when they first started, they thought that these beautiful leather bags that they made were going to resonate with a more hipster crowd. They were looking to sell in downtown Denver. So their messaging, I don't think it was doing anything fantastic for them. Mm. But what ended up happening is that when they started talking to the people who were actually buying their bags, it was moms. It was moms. It was stay-at-home moms. It was... Um, professional women who are maybe getting started with their careers and wanted something that was a cleaner look, more high quality kind of product that they weren't going to get at a Kohl's or a Target. So they really pivoted their, their messaging and their whole look to really focus on the women, the experience of women, whether it was a, a mental a headspace kind of thing or it was a fashion kind of thing. And they really created a brand voice that connected to women on a much deeper level than just the handbag that they were carrying. Which was not at all who they thought it was going to be. It was not at all. It's not who the product was made for. Yeah. But that's who wanted the product. Right. And I think that was, it wasn't a hard transition for them because they loved the pivot that they had to take. Yeah. I think it's much harder if you have to take a pivot that you are not excited about. Right. So the reality is, is that even if, even if you're working with a demographic that you didn't anticipate, it might just be... It might just be who your demographic is. You might think that it's over here, but until you test, until you've gone through the process of figuring that out, you don't know. And let me ask you, talk about market testing, um, because I'm trying to understand exactly what that means. Is that strictly when people use that term in the marketing fields, because, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't have a marketing background, but I I have heard for some reason it's come into my sphere a lot. It's been in a lot of conversations with female business owners around me. And I kind of am thinking, are they just talking like ad testing? Is that what that means? It can mean a lot of things. I think what you're talking about is A-B testing. So when you're testing ads, you want to try different photos or different copy to see what is going to resonate with your audience most. Just because you think it's fantastic doesn't mean it's actually connecting with people. So you want to test it and use whatever works best. In terms of marketing testing, it could just be what I talked about with Urban Southern. Poll, send out a poll or a questionnaire to the people Mm. who have bought the product. What are their favorite brands? What do they do for work? Do they have kids? Don't they have kids? Learn about who they Mm. are as human beings. So those aren't actual live ads that you run as tests because I I guess that's what I thought that that meant. And I'm like, well, that's that's a lot of like confusing messages. If I'm gonna hit, if I'm gonna go out on Facebook and do like split testing, and and post two different ads and see who gets who clicks more. I mean, you can do that, but wouldn't that be confusing then if you produce a third one that's It depends. And I'm going to butcher this, but there's a statistic out there that somebody needs to see your brand like seven times. I know. Before I think it's they're 13 inter- now. It's actually. up to 13. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our yeah. attention spans are short these I days. I know. So Thank you technology. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind, you know, it's okay not to put the same ad in front of somebody. Mm. It's it's okay to vary it. Uh, but if you're A-B testing, you're going to test one thing. 
So you might have the same copy for all of them and test three different images. And from there, you might rerun the ad with the one image, but then try three different types of copy. I see. So okay. you're trying out different parts of your messaging, of your visuals, to see what is going to connect and convert at the highest rate. Makes sense. Well, thanks for clarifying that. And I feel like we've jumped all over the place in this interview because I had these were like really specific questions, but I want to go back to the tactics. So I like that you address the starting goals because I you're, you're right. It's Sometimes our starting goal is to just make it through the next week, and, and we don't really know what our goals are supposed to be. Business owners, oftentimes, especially new ones, you don't even know what your goals should be. And, you know, you and I both, are, we have settled in enough now to know what that should look like. So. Mm-hmm. When you're talking with businesses that are far enough along to be able to have established goals, then you look at their messaging, right? Um, So what's after that? So we're gonna look at their customer avatars. We're gonna see if they're the right ones or if we need to pivot that at all. Then we're really going to try to match strategies to goals. So I have a client right now that has a software application. We would love if we could get 10 or 50 new people using the app every day, but there's an established brand leader out there already that has most of the market share. So we run Facebook ads, but most of our conversions come from one-on-one sales conversations where we go into small businesses and we talk to people about what they need or what they might not be getting from the applications that they're using now. And, and that's how we're making sales at the moment. And people don't consider that disruption. That is absolutely disruption because you're taking somebody that owns a market share in that product mm-hmm. and, and, and taking somebody away from that market share somewhere else. doesn't matter if it's one-on-one. That is disruption. And it's personalized. Yeah. And, and what people fail to understand a lot of times, we kind of idolize digital marketing. You know, mm. I'm going to blog and I'm going to be having beautiful photos on Instagram and I'm going to have a great email list and I'm going to run Facebook ads. Well, you and everybody else, sisters. So while you're trying to stand out, you're doing the same thing that everybody else mm. is doing. So what is really disrupting? One-on-one conversations, <laughs> walking into a business and bringing them a cup of coffee and introducing yourself. That today is truly a positive disruption. I love that so much. You are 100% correct. That is that is that is out of the box thinking now is one-on-one conversation. Isn't that sad? <laughs> that's so crazy. Just realize what we just said. That's just sad. But that's great. Okay, so let me ask you a couple of questions. So if you were to think sort of in the in the big picture of who you're working with now, what are some of the greatest challenges people have, even though they might have a strategy and even though they might understand this, what stops them along the path? I think funds is a mm. big thing that's, that stops people. Like you said, if you're gonna hire someone to do your social media, it's expensive. Mm. If you wanna run ads, you're faced with either learning how to do it yourself or spending $1,000 a month or more just for somebody to manage it, not even on your actual advertising, just for somebody to manage it. And I think in, in a world where everything is going digital and companies want to stand out online, 
you know, again, it comes back to the algorithm. So I can't get any reach because I can only get with paid reach now. A lot of small business owners are seeing that. And that's a struggle. So if you don't have the funds to get your content in front of everybody's faces, it's really, really hard to, to stand out. Even if you could be different, you could be amazing, but if you don't have the capability to get in front of people so they can see that, you can't grow. So do you do all of that service? So do you not only help create the strategy, which is, we know, a, a separate task than mm-hmm. the actual implementation, do you provide all of those services for the customers that you work with? Almost. Uh, I pitch myself as a part-time CMO for startups and, and small brands. So so I don't do the blogging and I don't do the social media management. What I do do is help them come up with the the visuals or the positioning or the messaging. I do run all the Facebook ads for all of my clients, which is a big uh, money saver for them because that's really expensive to do. Um, I manage their websites all Mm. of their copy, um, any of the PR, any of the grassroots campaigns like Mm. we were just talking about. So we put together this grassroots campaign and then my my client had somebody on their team who's just a fantastic salesperson and he goes to all the different locations and he implements it. Mm -hmm. Mm. So you, you can kind of customize according to what somebody needs. Yes. Yeah, which, which I like because we're all a little different. We have to be. Yeah. Yeah. We should exactly. be. Yeah. I, well, right. And if you're not different, then they need you even more. Yeah. Because then they need to figure out how they are different. Right? Yes, because everyone is different. You're right. So if they look the same, then they're just not digging deep enough. Yeah. And I, I, I think that the idea of needing to create a brand, a positive brand, um, is now more about the what's real. And, and isn't this isn't this the thing, right? The best brands right now are those that are just putting real stuff out there. And I, I I read an article, I think it was at the end of last week, that said people can tell people because you want to stop the scroll, right? Marketing means marketing good branding means we want people to stop scrolling on their device. Mm-hmm. And oh, I remember what it was. It was it was a speaker that I listened to, and he said that ninety nine percent of people now know what a stock image is. Yes. And if you have a stock image that has, and I I use this for the podcast. I mean, we put our info with an mm-hmm. episode number on it, so we're altering photos. But they said if you if you have a professional image, people are something like. 0.5% chance of actually reading it. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's an authentic, real picture doing something in your business, like you and I are going to take here in a minute with the baby, <laughs> um, people are much more likely to stop and look at it, read what it has to say, because people now can differentiate between paid, you know, marketed and storytelling. And people don't want to be marketed to. People mm. love stories, but they don't want to be sold to. So it, it's it used to be that you used to try to find stock images or all the free stock images site because you wanted it to look beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with having a polished look, but people are more drawn to other people, other brands that look like them, Mm -hmm. that they can relate to. And that's something that I've noticed in my business where I was talking about marketing or business or this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know what, when my kids show up, my kids are an important part of everything that I do in life. You know, um, I started taking my little one to networking events, three months old, she's dropped to my chest. People appreciate that Mm -hmm. because that, is something that they can relate to. So instead of trying to look like what I thought 
was professional or I thought what other people would see as professional. I just started showing what it was really like <laughs> to, to run this business with with four kids and, you know, the different things that I'm doing. And people really appreciate that. My, how times have changed. They have. It's different. Yeah, it's funny. At the top of my website, I have a video of volunteers mm -hmm. working. Um, and I was pretty adamant about it being like just a... I don't care if it's a stock video or whatever, but it, it needed to be a group of people having an action and doing something better in the community. And I didn't right. care if it was polished or fancy, it needed to be real. Because to me, that's what I think people resonate with the most, which is. is which is what you're building at Making Moxie. Yes. So tell me about this new um, this new program you're running with this Making Moxie. You have a, a membership based? I do. Okay, tell us about that. So. I can't always work with small business owners yeah. because it's not at a price point that is good for me or good for them. Right. So in knowing that, I still wanted to be able to help women who had small businesses. And one thing that has really been beneficial to me is masterminding, mm. where you sit in a room with other women and you're not at a networking event where you're trying to sell them on your services or you're trying to pitch yourselves. You're really there to benefit one another. And I love that. Mm. And there's a lot of masterminds that gurus host and they're expensive. Mm. They're like thousands of dollars oh, for yeah. the year. I know people that pay upward of like thousands of dollars a month just to just to be a part of it. Yes. And that who can afford that? I remember listening to uh, actually one of my favorite gurus. I listened to a lot of her content and she was saying in the beginning that if it's something that she felt she needed to do, she just found a way to do it. She just mm. put it on a credit card or took out a small loan and just said, I'm going to get a client to do, you know, to pay for that next month. And I, I think that's a really positive way of thinking. But I won't be taking chances like that when it comes to my family. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to put a couple thousand dollars down to be a part of a mastermind and just assume that I'm going to be able to make that much money next month. Yeah. Um, you know, I know the law of attraction is a powerful thing, but I'm also a realist in a lot of ways mm. and I wasn't willing to take the risks. So I wanted to be able to mastermind with other women. But if you do it for free, a lot of people don't show up. Right, because they don't you got, have skin in the game. They don't have skin in the game. Yeah. They're not interested. Right. Or they think they're interested, and then they just they don't show up for themselves, right. honestly. So I started a membership to go along with Making Moxie that is going to be at $20 a month, essentially. Uh, and we will have a monthly mastermind where we can connect with other women and do that really important digging into the issues or challenges that one another are going through and find solutions so that we can all grow our businesses. Do you have a specific, does, does a business need to be at a certain stage to join or? No, not at all. Uh, I think all stages are important. Um, it's, it's not really about the stage that you're in, it's more mm. about what you bring to the table. Right. Right, that's amazing. So how can people find it? The best place is to go to makingmoxie.com and there's a link at the top to join the community. 
And by the way, your blogs are great. So if you guys are listening, go to makingmoxie.com and, and read some of Shauna's blogs. I can't remember. What was the first one that I really liked? I think it was something that you think too small. What was that one? Oh, I right. Uh, okay. I so I think that you said you liked one that I wrote about why moms make the best entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then the other one was when I found out that my business goals were too small. Yeah. I read that. I'm like, mind blown. I got to call <laughs> this girl. And, and ever since we've been able to remain in touch and I look forward to all the amazing things that we're going to be able to do together. And I so appreciate you coming on because you have taken like this big giant of what marketing can be and you've brought it down to a level that businesses can actually work at. And you've done that because you know you make impact. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So thanks. <laughs> I mean, thank you for that because there's not a lot of people who will niche in small businesses because they don't, they know that that's not where the big money is. And so the fact that you know you can create impact is what drives you. And I so appreciate that about you. So thank you for helping small businesses, especially women, have the opportunity to, to stay in the game. We stay in the game best when we stick it out together. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks appreciate for it. Me. All right. So uh, my final question for you, Shauna, is what percentage of grit and grace are you? I'm going to say it's probably 80-20. I'm a lot more gritty than I am graceful. When you have four kids, I'm not really sure you have any options. I think maybe the grace comes when they're in bed. Yes, that's the only time. When I've got a glass of wine in my hand, the kids are in bed. That's when my grace shines through. Oh, man, I miss those days. And I like to offer my daughter and I's babysitting services. So, And my daughter lives not far from you. So if you... (laughs) She's at school, not far from you. So if you ever if you ever need anybody to come and love on that that Luna who s- wonderfully sat through this whole interview, you know how to call me. See, Luna is a doll, but you have to remember there's three more. <laughs> okay, well I'll just start with Luna first <laughs> because four is a lot. But no, I I really appreciate you making your time to come and speak with us, and I look forward to talking to you more. Thanks for having me, and thank you guys for listening to another episode of Grit and Grace. And if you are listening to us on iTunes. Please make sure you leave us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And if you're on ladieschitchatclub.com, there is a chat box there. You can post a message. And if you click on my name, it's going to take you directly to me. And you're welcome to send me a message. And I'm happy to forward you to Shauna. And all of the information that we talked about in this podcast will be in the show notes. So my friends, go be fierce. Ladies and gentlemen, do not forget to visit our new subscription box site, Grit, Grace, and Glory at gx3box.com. There you can find out how you can sign up to receive monthly inspiration, education, and some special stuff to help celebrate you. And the best part is every box will have a contribution to a nonprofit or a social enterprise because we all know we like to be our best and give back to the community at the same time. So don't miss out, gx3box.com.